Can you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13? And we're going to read the first 17 verses. John 13, 1 to 17, please. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you shall have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who, hath, who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are all clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. My message title is The Greatest. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's not a new topic. It's not something we haven't talked about before. And it's an ancient topic, as you will see here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 46. Luke writes, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we try to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. So who is the greatest? It seems to be a competition among all of us as to who is the greatest. And the reality is that nobody wants to be a nobody, and this is particularly prominent with men, right? Everything's a competition. 
But you ladies, before you say, well, it's just a guy thing, you're just as guilty as we are. You are. You're just sneakier at it. You are. Women are more subtle, and they're sneaky about it. So think about this, people, not just men or women. So when you're in town, and someone is talking about a rainstorm, and how much rain we got, what's the next person going to say? Okay, Catherine comes in this morning and says, we got an inch and a half of rain this morning. What's, what's the usual reply to that? Well, at my place we got, yeah, we got more, you know. Uh, you talk about a snowstorm, a bad snowstorm. So someone's going to say, well, what? Back when I was a kid, you know, like, <laughs> no, you should have seen the snow that we had. Um, Women, you're talking about grandkids. So some lady's talking about her grandkid. The next lady is going to say what? Huh? I'm not hearing you. Mine's smarter, okay? Mine's bigger. Mine's more dangerous. Mine's whatever else. Uh, when you're talking about farming, what, what's the first thing two farmers ask when they get together? How many acres are you farming? And the next guy says, I got more. All right. Um, what about guns, guys? Okay, I brought a brand new 22. But your gun is bigger and better and more expensive than my gun, right? So here you are, seniors. What are the favorite topics? of seniors medications operations right if you've had one operation someone else has what has what kind of operation bigger better hurts more and you get into this organ recital thing right oh yeah we all do it Nobody wants to be a nobody. And the reason we tell those stories, we do this one-upmanship, is because we all went to be a somebody. And the reality is that when we take the wrong road to get there, when we take the wrong road to being a somebody, we get into trouble. And for guys, for men, it's generally, not always, but for guys, it's generally about significance. It's about you know, my gun is bigger than yours, or, or my house is bigger than yours, or my boat is, is more impressive than yours, or I make more money than you do, I have more people working for me than you do, I run a bigger budget than what you do, my combine's better than, you know, my combine's green, it's better than yours. And, and so, you know, and, and for, for women, you ladies are just as bad, really, because it's about, grandkids my grandkid is smarter my grandkid can can do this or my son can do this my husband does this and it's all about security and family and friends and relationships now the, the reality is there's nothing really wrong with that except when those things start to define the essence of our lives jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or when our relationships start to define the essence of our lives, then we wind up getting into trouble. 
because it will cost us our relationship with Jesus and the rest of Jesus' family. And the reality is that the road to greatness, according to Jesus, the road to greatness lies on the foundation of servanthood. I used to build road sometimes when I worked in the bush in B.C. Sometimes I drove a dump truck, and we would build road, and you would have to build, first of all, you'd have to clear the bush, and then you would have to provide drainage. You'd have to put ditches and culverts in place. And then you had to create a subgrade, and on top of that subgrade, you would put the actual road surface. But the road to greatness, Jesus said, lies on the subgrade, lies on the foundation of servanthood. And I want to look at some fundamental realities with you this morning. One of those realities is that all of us want to be a somebody. I think I've said that three times already. We, nobody wants to be a nobody. We all want to be a somebody. And in the disciples, um, the Bible says an argument started. How does that happen? How does an argument start among guys usually? My gun is... Bigger, better, stronger, more expensive than your gun. So an argument started among these guys. I don't know how it started. And in fact, when you read the same story in Mark, it seems like they had been following Jesus, and they get to where they were going. And Jesus says to them, so what were you guys arguing about on the road? Like he'd been listening to this. Even though they were behind Jesus, they were probably bickering amongst themselves, 12 of them trying to figure out which one of them was going to be the top gun. I mean, it's a guy thing. My grandson, who is now 10, that one, four years old, we're, in, we're at Disney World, and his dad bought him a little remote control boat. He walks up to this little girl, four years old, and says, I got a moat troll boat. See, it's his road to greatness. You know, it's, what I, it's my stuff. I got this. You know, like, you should be impressed with that. Little girl didn't seem to get it. So... Uh, which, Robbie, should be a tremendous sense of freedom to you because <laughs> you're still working by the other yardstick, right? Well, you spoke up. I can make it personal now, right? <laughs> you going to be quiet now? So here's James and John, okay? There were three disciples in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when you, when you go to Matthew 20, um, you read the story about their mama comes to Jesus and says, I have a favor to ask of you. So their mama comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, what's that? He's, she says, when you get to your kingdom, can, can my two boys be on your right and the left? Can they be the biggest in the kingdom? Because that's how mama got her significance by what her boys were going to do. Right? That's a woman thing. My mama did exactly the same thing. When I went to Bible school and I was going to become a pastor, my mama had to introduce me to everybody in her church, and my sister and her husband got sick of me. Because my mama thought 
that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread because my son's going to church or going to Bible school now. And all of a sudden, my sister, who had been, you know, she and I talked the week before she died, or uh, we spent a week together uh, shortly before she passed away, and, 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 and we hauled this out and laid it on the table. And, you know, like I said to her, I thought you had always been mom's favorite, you know, mom and dad's favorite, because, you know, they followed you around. She said, well, I thought you were mom and dad's favorite, because, you know, especially when you went to Bible school, because the sun rose and set on you and all the rest of this. And, and it, it got so bad that when Kathy and I went to church with, with mom and dad, like we snuck out of there just as pastor said amen. We were done. We were gone because, because mama wanted to show us off to everybody because, you know, this, was, this is my son. You know, And in Mark chapter 10, you read about James and John. It was their own idea. And, and, and Jesus has this thing going on with his disciples and you know what? They don't get it. Because at the Last Supper, they're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest. There's still this argument. It's Jesus' Last Supper with them, and Jesus knows he's going to be crucified, and they're sitting around the table having an argument about which one of them is going to be the greatest. You know, you just hear Peter saying, well, none of you ever walked on water. We all want to be a somebody. And you look at the disciples, and you know, Nippon's no better. It isn't. What do you talk about when you get together with other people? What do you hear when you're in the coffee shop? What do you hear when you're standing in line at the grocery store? What do you hear when you're going up and down the steps of the post office? It's always about getting one up on somebody else. We have these conversations. You know, pastors, we're supposed to be spiritual. And, and you know, we measure ourselves, um, you know, the, the, we measure ourselves by the number of people that show up in our church and how big our budget is. And so, but we try and couch this in very spiritual terms. Um, you know, you don't want to say so, you know, like, like how many people you get out on a Sunday morning? Well, I don't know, I get, you know, 200? What about you? Well, I get 23. Oh. 23? Hey, well, that's good. Yeah. And it goes around in church families, right? It goes around in church families. People say, I'm smarter than you are about money. I know more about worship than you do. I'm smarter about music. I know what God likes and you don't. I have more discernment than you do. I have more wisdom. I have more experience. I have more taste. I have more of the Holy Spirit. I have more humility than you do. And so the wrangling starts within the church because someone says, I know better than you do. You don't know beans. And the result is that you wind up with people who have hurt feelings 
people who are wrapped up in dissension, people who are angry, people who are bitter, people who are in competition with each other. You wind up with churches in pain. You wind up with division, with gossip and slander and loneliness and complaining and selfishness. Do you remember, and I don't know the details of this, but do you remember how we got this building? Do you remember that we came in here on a Sunday afternoon and, and we, we had an hour or two to walk around and, and look over the building? And then we had a devotional time here together. We had, we had some food. We're Baptists. We can't do anything without food. We had some food, and then we made a decision on buying this building, unanimous decision. But how did we get to that point? How did this building become available to us? Because the previous group of people who built this building it came unglued from the inside out. And I don't know the details of that. And we as a leadership team at the time prayed specifically against the spirit of division and bitterness that was in this building and that God would give us unity and togetherness when it came to the planning and it, when it came to the doing, and we certainly experienced that, but we need to be extremely careful that we don't get into this competition inside a church. Now, Jesus knows how our world works. In Matthew 20, Jesus said, and then he's talking to James and John here, he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority. We like this authority business. We like this business of being in control. Do you know, just think of little things. Do you know what the title Mr. stands for? Master. See, a master is in control of something. Do you know what the title Mrs. stands for? Do you know what the title Mrs. stands for? It stands for mistress. And the word mistress, it's gotten an entirely different connotation today. But the word mistress means a woman who exercises control or authority. Won't you ladies like that? You misses somebody? Wow. Exercise control and authority. In my language, the word mister the word that we use for mister is a word that has been shortened. It means my Lord. Ooh, like that title. And in the church, our, our pastors were not called a pastor. The pastor, that was a Roman Catholic priest, but our pastors were called the domine. Uh, domine is the word from the Latin dominus, which means Lord. And so you have Lord. You know, wouldn't you like to call me that, Lord Gomice? Woo! I could really get, you could really inflate my ego on that. The high officials exercise authority, and those in Luke 22 at the Last Supper, Jesus said, 
those who exercise authority call themselves benefactors. I'm doing this for your own good. And then there was the Pharisees. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 23 just for a few moments. We're going to read how, how stuff had come off the rails there in those days. Matthew chapter 23. And I'm going to read it for you in the NIV, and then I'm going to read it in, the, in the Eugene Peterson's The Message. Okay, Matthew chapter 23, I'm beginning at verse 2. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so those are the religious mucky mucks of the day. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but they do not do what they what but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, they want other people to serve them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries. A phylactery was a little leather box that, that they would put a piece of the law in, and they would wear it on their forehead or on their wrists. They make their phylacteries wide, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Now, listen Listen to this from the message, and, and it's a little more earthy. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law, and you won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses. But be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees, and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you, put you on a pedestal like that. You have a single teacher, and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father, for you have only one father, and he's in heaven. And what Jesus does, he takes that hierarchy, this, this whole thing, and he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority. Now, that's the way our world works. Reese is going to be a police officer. He's going to have to exercise authority. And one of the things I said to the guy who phoned me and asked, I'm still sorry I gave you that good a reference, but, but one of the things I said to that guy um, um, who, who phoned me about Reese, I said, well, Reese is a really nice guy. Well, he said he's going to have to learn to be a little more assertive then. So there you go, just so that you know. Okay. 
But that's the way the world works. But what Jesus does, he takes that whole hierarchy of authority and he turns it upside down. You see, in the world, the bottom rung is the servant. The servant is a nobody. Nobody wants to be a nobody. The servant is seen and not heard and all the rest of this. Jesus said, turns that upside down and he says to the disciples, he took a little child and, and he put, them, put this little guy beside him and he said, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom, ah, he is the greatest. The least is the greatest. Jesus said, if you want to become great in the kingdom of God, become a servant. And the greatest in the kingdom will be your servant. And the greatest example is Jesus himself. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's bring that home. If you're asked to be not asked, Jesus is telling us, if Jesus tells you to be a servant, where does that work? Well, it works in your home when nobody else is around. There are men who like to be served. Our job, my job, is to serve. Doesn't matter who's around, my job is to serve. I am to serve my family. I am to serve my wife. I am to serve my children, my siblings, and my relatives. When it comes to the church, rather, guys, when, when you're at home, don't expect your, your wife is not your servant. You are her servant. In the church, if you see something that needs to be done, either do it or get it done. A great servant sees a need and does something about it before it's mentioned. And in the community, the only way that people will know in this community that Jesus loves them is if you and I show them, right? If you and I show people that Jesus loved them, and we show them that by serving them. Now, there's probably some cautions here. What do you do with the dysfunctional? I remember walking down the street one day, and a young couple came up to me carrying a baby, complaining that they didn't have any money for diapers, and, and could, I, could I give them some money? And I happened to be standing um, kind of where the... Um, the glass shop is on the main drag. You know where that is. And, and I thought, okay, I'll give you, you need diapers. Uh, I'm not going to give you money. But I said, grocery stores, kitty corner from here. Come over there with me. I'll buy you lots of diapers. No thanks. You want diapers. Not going to encourage dysfunctionality. And sometimes we just have to do, sometimes we have to, have some wisdom in, in some of that. We're, we're struggling with our daughter. How much do we help? How much do we step in? Do we step in? Do we take our hands off? Like, like if, if we start pouring money into that, it becomes a bottomless hole. Don't know. What about your expectations? Have you ever words, used words like this? I deserve it. I deserve more. I expect. I have a right. Somebody should. Use words like that, then you're expecting other people to serve you. I spoke on this topic one time at, 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 at the Bible college here a number of years ago. And one of the students there afterwards walked up to one of the staff, one of the faculty members, uh, of, of Nippon Bible College and stood in front of the faculty member and said, okay, serve me. 
If you have that attitude, you got it wrong. There's no exception clause. There's no retirement clause in this whole thing. When you have an expectation of, an expectation of being served, you have it wrong. There is no such thing. It's my turn. Or it's not my turn. Or it's someone else's turn. No retirement clause. The road to greatness in the kingdom of God lies on the foundation of servanthood. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you and I need to learn to be the servant of all. And that's, sometimes it's a, a little bit of a pill to swallow. But if you want to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus said, Matthew 23, verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And God expects the same, you and me, in the church, in our homes, in our community, wherever God puts us, you want to be great. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. You're afraid of being a doormat? Follow the example of Jesus. He gave it all up for you and for me. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy to say these words. And yet, again, at least for me, so difficult to live them. And Lord, oftentimes I, I get, I climb up on my little pedestal and I have these expectations and people shouldn't do that to me and all the rest of these things. But I pray that you would give us wisdom. And sin isn't just stepping over a line, a transgression. But most of it is a falling short, and, and we don't like to hear things like this because they make us uncomfortable and they might cost us things. But Lord Jesus, you came and, and put it all aside so you could serve us. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that you would work in my own heart today, and I know this is a dangerous prayer, but that you would teach me to be Christ-like in my service to those around me. And I pray, Lord, that the community, the people I live with, will know the love of Jesus through the way that I act and react. Father, we just commit ourselves to you and ask that your will would be done in each of our lives. Grant us your peace and your blessing as we leave this place. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.